the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. Good morning to you. Praise be to God. It is Thursday, September the 8th, 2022, on the Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Praise be to God. Going to have a great show for you today. In fact, yesterday, just yesterday on the Twitterverse, Civil War was trending. Hmm, that's interesting. Why is that? You know, I find that more and more we have talking heads on cable news and people on social media from all walks, from all political spectrums, talking more and more and more about a great breakup, a great divorce in our country, a secession, a civil war. Why would that be? Well, we decided to have a conversation around that today with Jeff Deist from the Mises Institute. He's going to join us at 35 past the hour to get into that. He is a proponent of soft secession. What does that mean versus, you know, the hard type that we experienced back in the 1860s? Well, we're going to have that conversation. Join us for that if you can. And here's another question. Are you ready? Have you made the decision in your life that no matter what would happen or what would come or what the consequences might be, that you will stand your ground when it comes to the faith in a world that seems to be decaying around you? Have you decided to be faithful to what you believe, what the church teaches, what our Lord has asked of you? Or do you think you might crumble under the temptation to save your job, to save your reputation, your relationships? Well, there was a teacher in Ireland who's in prison right now, in jail right now, because he decided to stand his ground on his faith. And we're going to have a conversation around that at 15 past the hour. Hector Molina will join us at the top of the next hour for the review of the Sunday Gospel to get you prepped and ready for Sunday. Praise be to God. But there are tons of stories in the news today. Hey, I see a story out of Alabama. Harassment by Biden's Department of Justice. The DOJ seeks over five years of information relating to the Eagle Forum of Alabama's involvement in fighting underage gender treatments and promoting the Alabama Vulnerable Child Compassion and Protection Act. That's probably going to take them quite a bit of uh, effort and time. They probably have to stop all other activities just so they can collect five years worth of every scrap and cranny of paper they can find, emails and digitals, whatever, just to satisfy the DOJ. That's called harassment. Hey, leaked a recording has come out out of Israel. Apparently, Israel is being accused of intentionally withholding data on COVID vaccine injuries. Quote, over 90% of the reports detailing the characteristics of the duration of the adverse event indicate long-term changes. Apparently, they, they held this back from public, even though they knew it. That's interesting. Death of adults, 35 to 44, were 100% higher than expected last year, according to the Society of Actuaries. What do we know about the bean counters? I mean, come on. How accurate could they really be? The Pentagon has paused shipments of F-35s to the U.S. military and other buyers because they found a part of the engine was sourced from China. Yeah, Huawei. Just think Huawei. It's not a good deal. But uh, nonetheless, good morning to you, Mike Koeniger. Hey, good morning, Joe. How are you today? Praise be to God. I am alive, and that counts. How are you? Oh, I'm rolling in it. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, rolling in what? Maybe maybe that should be the next phrase on the CBT mug. I'm rolling in it. <laughs> you talk about dough, money. Yeah. <laughs> rolling in dough? Oh, I grass. Don't, I don't roll in dough until the end of the deer season, generally speaking. It's, that's when I go rolling in the dough. But uh, nonetheless... Now, uh, now that you've covered all the headlines, Joe, yeah. I don't know what I have to do here. I'm sure, I'm sure there's good news for you to share. I covered all the bad stuff. That way you can talk about all the fluffy bunnies puppy dogs and lollipops i'm sure it's going to be all all good news with mike koniger here in a few minutes but uh it's uh we're, we're like we're like just a day away from the weekend anything uh fun on the agenda this weekend i have a bathroom to finish remodeling i'm so excited <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah the honeydew list i have that somewhere don't tell my wife i might have misplaced oh, she's it, nailed but... it to the front door you'll see it when you come <laughs> yes, home that's right oh speaking of which so friday i will be issuing the cdt insider email as i usually do friday afternoon and i am going to be sending out that this week's entertainment is going to be a series it's an independent film broken up into a series that's been uh, d- distributed via the internet, and it's on the. It's called the Days of Noah, and it's a drama about the coming of the uh, the Great Flood. And uh, if you if you watch Chosen, I suggest you should watch this too. Uh, I'll tell you more about it in the CDT Insider email. It's uh, it was very fascinating. I finished it last night, and I'll be sending that in the email li- uh, loop tomorrow. So make sure you're on our email list. Go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt to get signed up today. Let's pray. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear, and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and now your headlines with Mike Koeniger. Putin threatens no gas, no oil if prices are capped. Russia will stop delivering oil and gas supplies to countries that introduce price caps. Capping prices, as some Western countries are considering, would be absolutely stupid decision, Putin says. G7 nations on Friday vowed to move urgently, urgently towards implementing a price cap on Russian oil exports. The Justice Department lawyer smears religious liberty advocates as hate group. Eric Pre Bruskin, Assistant Director of the Commercial Litigation Branch in the Justice Department's Civil Division, used the term to describe Alliance Defending Freedom, a Christian legal advocacy group founded in 1993. The Justice Department's social media policy discourages employee comments that can be perceived as showing prejudice toward characteristics such as religion. Ruskin, previously a lawyer with the ACLU of Massachusetts, no surprise there, appeared to follow the lead of the Southern Poverty Law Center, a left-wing group that regularly calls Alliance Defending Freedom and other conservative organizations hate groups. As Joe mentioned just a few moments ago, Irish teacher jailed after being suspended for refusing to use preferred pronouns. Burke was arrested Monday at the school after ignoring the suspension and appearing on campus. The teacher told the court it was insanity that he was being jailed. The judge maintained that the order to send Burke to jail was based on him refusing to follow the suspension rather than the merits of his argument regarding the student's pronouns. And we're going to end with that good news story in this segment. Our Lady of Fatima statue stolen from Catholic Church in New Jersey found arrest made. Tears were flowing from the faces of parishioners 
at St. Andrew the Apostle Catholic Church in Gibbsboro, New Jersey, when they saw their pastor bring into the Adoration Chapel on Wednesday the parish's beloved Our Lady of Fatima statue, which was stolen last week. After the statue was stolen on August 30th, Marucci said that he was praying that it would be returned before September 8th, the Nativity of Our Blessed Mother, the day on which the parish always holds a litany of prayers from sunup to sundown in honor of Mary. Marucci said, however, on the morning of September 7th, a police detective called him and told him, I want you to know that the statue of the Blessed Mother is coming home. That was the phrase he used, Marucci said, and I was really just moved by that. And those are your headlines. God love you. The saint of the day is Blessed Apollonia Lazarga Ochoa de Zabalegui. Born on the 18th of April, 1867, in Lazaun, Pamplona, Spain, she was one of 11 children in a pious family. She joined the Carmelite Sisters of Charity in July of 1886 and studied at the college in Madrid, Spain. She later taught at the College of Trujillo and became the superior of the community of Villafranca de los Barros, Badajos, and Seville, Spain. She served for 13 years, during which the order founded 20 new communities, and Apollonia worked for the beatification of their founder, St. Joaquina Vedruna Vidal de Mas. She was martyred in the Spanish Civil War. <clears throat> Blessed Apollonia Lizarraga Ochoa de Zabalegui, pray for us. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Ghost. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to send her away quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel which means God is with us. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are, uh, there are three, generally three, uh, theories about Joseph and his actions as described in this particular passage. Uh, I have a strong bias towards one of those three, which I'll go over for you in just one second. But here's a quote from Origen my favorite of all church heretics, uh, writing in the third century, quote, but if he had no suspicion of her, how could he be a just man and yet seek to put her away, being immaculate? He sought to put her away because he saw in her a great sacrament to approach which he thought himself unworthy. Close quote, origin. Oh, if only we could talk with such eloquence and beauty as such great heretics like Origen. And I say that with tongue in cheek, by the way. St. Jerome said, quote, Or this may be considered a testimony to Mary, that Joseph, confident in her purity 
and wondering at what had happened, covered in silence that mystery which he could not explain. Close quote, St. Jerome, pray for us. The Ignatius Catholic Commentary today points out Joseph is a man of sterling moral character, committed to living by the Mosaic law. Put her to shame that, well, what's going on there? The Greek verb does not necessarily have a negative connotation. It simply means to expose or to exhibit. And, you know, to be honest with you, uh, the Father Calloway book on uh, the consecration of St. Joseph, I think, does the best job in defending the honor of St. Joseph here. And uh, I would encourage you, if you've not uh, gone through that book, whether for the consecration itself or just to read the huge volume of testimony on the righteousness and the, uh, the, the, uh, the quality of St. Joseph in regards to thinking himself unworthy, you ought to. And here is the three theories that the Church has traditionally held in regards to this. There is one, the, the, the suspicion theory, which holds that Joseph suspected Mary of adultery, and because of the law, he put her away. But because of his uh, mercy and his, his charity towards Mary and his righteousness, he tried to put her away quietly. So that's the suspicion theory. Then there is the perplexity theory, which holds that Joseph found the situation of Mary's pregnancy inexplicable, and he didn't know what to do, so he took his only option, I guess, and that would be divorce. So there's the suspicion theory, there's the perplexity theory, and then there's the theory that I particularly hold to and feel obligated to defend the uh, honor and dignity of St. Joseph, who is my uh, my namesake, right? The the reverence theory, and uh, this is what Ignatius Catholic Commentary says, says, still others hold that Joseph knew the miraculous cause of Mary's pregnancy from the beginning. He was made aware that the child was conceived of the Holy Ghost. Faced with this, Joseph considered himself unworthy to be involved in the Lord's work, and his decision to separate quietly from Mary was a dis- discretionary measure to keep secret the mystery within her. On this reading, the angel confirms what Joseph had already known and urges him to set aside pious fears that would lead him away from his vocation to be the legal father of the Messiah. Joseph is said to be the right is to be righteous because of his deep humility and reverence for the miraculous works of God. Proponents of this view include St. Bernard of Clairvaux and St. Thomas Aquinas. No slouches there. And I think this is the absolute way to think of St. Joseph in this regard. It makes great sense. If the mother of God conceived without sin, and today is the day we celebrate our lady, praise be to God, isn't she deserving of a holy spouse? Isn't our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ deserving of the best possible foster father that he could personally create? I would argue yes. If you want stronger arguments, I suggest you get that Father Calloway book. And take a look. Your mind will be blown by the volume of quotes of early church fathers and more. Hey, don't go anywhere. What's concerning us is coming up next. We're often told that so long as sexual activity is performed between consenting adults, there's nothing morally wrong with what's done. Is this a reasonable way of morally evaluating sexual behavior? I don't think so. And here's why. First, such reasoning justifies disturbing acts like that of Ormond Mivis, who butchered and ate a willing victim that responded to an advertisement placed on the Internet. I don't think we want to say consensual cannibalism is okay. Second, the assertion arbitrarily picks consent as the only aspect of nature's design for sex as having any moral significance. If we must reverence nature's design for consensual sex, 
then why is it okay to not reverence nature's design for procreation? If it's okay to reject one, well, then it's okay to reject the other. So rather than reverencing consensual sex, this argument undermines it. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Men, it's time. Participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th, 1130 a.m. to 330 p.m. in Boston. There is a man connected to every abortion. Men are a big part of the problem, and it's time for all men to take responsibility and be a big part of the solution. All men of goodwill are invited to participate in the march, and everyone else is needed to show up for the rally beginning at 2 p.m. outside of the State House. For more information, go to themensmarch.com and spread the word. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Coming up at 35 past the hour, Jeff Dice is going to be our guest from the Mises Institute. We're going to be talking about civil war, secession. This conversation is starting to heat up in our country more and more every day. More and more people are talking about it, not just on the uh, conservative right, but on the liberal left as well. And we're going to get a conversation going with Jeff uh, at 35 past. So join us for that if you can. There are, as I say, lots of stories in the news that are a great concern to me, and I'm sure they are to you as well. And, uh, you know, our friend Mike Koeniger just actually reported on this story. But on this Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, I'm reminded of something important in our life, and that is to be in readiness. And the biggest question I want to ask you before I jump into the story again is, are you ready? Have you made the decision in your life to stand on the firm foundation of the faith passed on from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to the apostles, to their bishops, their successors, down to our age today? Have you decided for yourself that, uh, as uh, as uh, Joshua would say, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord, in spite of whatever may happen to you? Are you ready for that? Have you made that decision? Well, uh, let me just reiterate this story. Uh, Mike just covered it, but uh, this is out of the New York Post. Irish teacher suspended from school, jailed, over transgender pronoun flap. The article says, a teacher in Ireland has been suspended from work and then jailed for contempt of court after he refused uh, to use the correct pronouns to address a transgendered student. Enoch Burke was arrested on Monday for violating a court order, barring him from teaching at Wilson's Hospital School in Westmeath, Meath, Westmeath maybe, I don't know, or even being present there. The news site RTE.ie reported Judge Michael Quinn found Burke guilty of violating an order made by the high court last week and sent him to the prison where he will remain until either he purges his contempt of the court or gives further orders. Enoch Burke, a teacher from Ireland, was suspended from the school. The teacher remained defiant in the face of jail time, telling the judge that, quote, it is insanity, close quote, that he would be led out of the courtroom and taken to prison for refusing to give up his Christian beliefs. Um, the article goes on to say, quote, I love my school with its motto, rest non verba, actions, not words. But I'm here today because I said I would not call a boy a girl, close quote, Burke told the court. The scandal surrounding Burke began unfolding after the educator who teaches history, politics, and German at the school refused to address a transitioning student as, quote, they, close quote, instead of, quote, he, close quote. 
Burke's stance prompted school officials to place him on paid administrative leave pending the outcome of the disciplinary process. But the teacher refused to stay away from campus, despite an injunction that he was issued barring him from going to school or attempting to teach. On Friday, the judge issued an order to arrest Burke after he was found sitting in an empty classroom at the school. Burke was taken in custody at the school on Monday and taken directly to court where he told the judge he could not comply with the injunction because it would violate his conscience. Quote, I am a teacher and I don't want to go to prison, close quote, Burke told the court, going on to say, quote, I want to be in my classroom today. That's where I was this morning when I was arrested, close quote. He added, quote, transgenderism is against my Christian belief. It is contrary to the scriptures, contrary to the ethos of the Church of Ireland and of my school, close quote. Uh, that's the article out of the New York Post. And again, I have no idea uh, I, about this man's personal life, or I don't even know, is he Catholic, not Catholic? Is he just an Anglican uh, Church of, uh, in the Church of uh, Ireland? Is that the Anglican Church? There? I don't actually know. I've not looked that far into this man's story or his life. But nonetheless, I think it brings up a great point. He is clearly ready to go to prison. He doesn't want to, he said, but he's ready to go uh, based on truth, because truth is a person. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, our Lord said. And uh, it would seem to me from the outside looking in that uh, Enoch Burke believes that, and he's taking that very seriously. But how often do you and I, we would look for some get-out-of-jail-free card, or, or as our good friend of the show, Shia LaBeouf, would say the wiggle room. We would look for that wiggle room. We look for that uh, way to to keep our convictions, keep our faith, keep our good times rolling all at the same time. I'm reminded of The Man for All Seasons. You remember that movie, The Man for All Seasons? Rudy, have you ever seen The Man for all, Man of All Seasons? No, unfortunately, I have not seen that movie. Joe. Mike, you you must have seen the movie. I've definitely seen it. It's a great movie. It's been been decades, I hate to say, but it, I, I need to watch it again. It's just powerful. Yeah. And, and by the way, yeah. this guy seems, I just looked while you were talking at his Twitters, yeah. and he seems to be cut from exactly the cloth you think he is. Okay, um, an Anglican? He, I don't know if he's a Church of Ireland or Catholic, but yeah. he certainly is espousing views you and I would not dispute. <laughs> very well said mike that was very pc of you <laughs> i didn't mean to be sorry <laughs> no worries but for the man from all seasons you know you had saint thomas more who was stuck in a conundrum he he was the chancellor i mean he he was i mean next to the king he was pretty far up there in the chain of command uh top of the foot the food chain so to speak and uh, when Henry VIII decided that uh, he would be the head of the church in England, it put him in a very precarious situation. Most of the bishops said, yeah, no problem, we'll sign that. Yeah, you got it, no problem, whatever you want, uh, your, your highness. Thomas More couldn't do that, and he knew he couldn't do that, but he dragged his feet as far as he possibly could before he realized he couldn't go any further. And he's a, he's a saint. He died a martyr, and he died heroically, praise be to God. But... I want to ask whether or not you're ready. You know, and I think today, especially on the nativity of Our Lady, Our Lady was ready. Our Lady was ready. Um, when we look back at, uh, you know, the Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel came to visit her in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 28, here's, uh, I think this is the Douay Rheims version. It says, the angel, became, the angel being come in, said unto her, Hail, 
full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Well, uh, I love this particular passage. It's one of my favorite in all of sacred scripture. Uh, especially, I have spent uh, countless time writing about, speaking about, producing content on the Greek word kekaretomene, which is found in that particular verse. It means she was always full of grace. She is now full of grace, and she will always be full of grace. And as I like to say, I have been accused of being full of a lot of stuff, but no one has ever accused me of being full of grace, especially my wife or my children. So she is the one who is full of God's grace. Let that sink in for a moment. She goes on to say, uh, after the angel has, uh, has uh, said everything and announced everything as he was co- uh, the angel was commanded to do, in verse 38, Mary says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done to me according to thy word. She said, Yes. But, Joe, she was bothered by this angel's presence. No, she was not. Stop it. She's not the shepherds in the field. She ain't the prophet Daniel who cowers at the face of an angel. No, that's not her. She's not afraid of the angel. It was what the angel said that gave her pause. And, uh, and that's why the angel goes on to explain some stuff. So I bring that up to point this. Our lady was ready. Well, what do you mean, Joe? Well, if you go to the wedding feast of Cain in John chapter 2, and you read in verse uh, 4, it says, And Jesus said to her, Woman, what is that to me and to thee? My hour has not yet come. And verse 5, his mother saith to the waiters, Whatsoever he shall say to you, do ye. What? What is going on here? The wedding feast of Cana, you know the story, of course. They're having a good time, and the, ran, and the wine ran out. And they come and ask Our Lady to intercede on behalf of the need. And Our Lady does that with her son, just like Bathsheba did with Solomon back in 1 Kings. She is her role as the Gibirah in the kingdom of David, which is the queen mother, is to be the intercessor for her son and the people, between the people and her son, who was the king. And by the way, the role of Gibirah would exist all the way to the Babylonian exile, when they would take the king and his mom off into, into uh, exile. So let that sink in, because when we look at that verse, what, when Jesus says, woman, we immediately think of Eve in the Garden of, of Eden, right? When she was called woman, Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This was covenant language there in Genesis chapter 2. And now we see it being used here again. But my hour has not yet come. What is the hour in John's gospel? Well, if you've spent any time whatsoever, if you have passed by a lecture of Scott on, then you would know, let alone read, have read all of his books or listened to his, his lectures or more, you would know that the hour in John's gospel refers to the passion and death and resurrection, the hour of glory from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is an hour of sacrifice. And Our Lady's response to our Lord in saying, my hour, my death, my passion, my suffering has not yet come. Her response is to turn to the waiters and say, do whatever he tells you. Our Lady is kicking off the passion of our Lord. Do you understand? The next time you listen to Mary, did you know, I want you to think about what I'm saying to you right now. She knew a hundred percent. She knew. 
How, how can you say that? Well, because Our Lady, not being a dummy, and have had memorized most of uh, what we would consider as the Old Testament today, especially the Psalms, which they sang and prayed through singing, like uh, kind of like the Divine Office, she would have known very well Psalm 22, which our Lord quoted from the cross himself. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And everybody at the foot of the cross knew exactly what he was referring to and quoting from. Why art thou so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer, and by night, but find no rest. They could have recited this without even batting an eye to you, to include Our Lady. She knew this passage. She knew that the psalm goes on to say, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaw. Thou dost lay me in the dust of death. Yea, dogs are round about me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my raiment they cast lots. She knew that. She knew that. And still she said, Fiat, yes, be it done unto me according to thy word. She was ready. She goes on to say in Luke's gospel to her cousin, that her soul doth magnify the Lord. Does your soul magnify the Lord? Let's be honest, my soul doesn't quite magnify the Lord. Maybe there's a dim glimmer there, but there's not quite the glory that is spoken of from the humility of Our Lady who accepts her role as the Queen Mother, the Gibi Ra, the intercessor between the faithful and the King himself the King of kings and the Lord of lords. She was ready to stand at the foot of the cross and to watch her son in agony suffer death in such a torturous way for you and for me. She was ready. The consequences be damned. She said yes so that you might have an opportunity at salvation. This teacher is prepared to go to prison for what he believes. Are you? Are you prepared to lose job? security, freedom, friends, and family for what you believe? Or will you drag your feet and look for the wiggle room and get out of it? Let's meditate on that today. We'll be right back. Jeff Dice, coming up next. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, the Catholic view of marriage may be an ideal, but it cannot be a reality? Well, G.K. Chesterton says, It is an ideal in a diseased society. It is a reality in a healthy society. For where it is real, it makes society healthy. We know we cannot make a perfectly healthy society because while we believe in marriage and the church, we also believe in something called the fall of man, which also has an effect on society. But the point is that we believe not just in an ideal, but in something practical practical in the sense that we want to make something. We want to create Christian families as opposed to those who are always ready to destroy the family, who give up on the ideal and give in to whatever is easiest at the moment. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. 
Hi, this is Pam Stenzel. Come participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th in Boston. Men gather outside of the Planned Parenthood on Commonwealth at 11.30 a.m. for the march, and then everyone else show up at the 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about the need to value and protect every pre-born baby from fertilization. For more information, go to themensmarch.com and spread the word. Good morning. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. My name is Mike Koniger, and these are your headlines. Dutch City's looming ban on meat advertisements world first. Harlem, which is just west of Amsterdam, is instituting the ban to reduce consumption of meat and lower the amount of greenhouse gas emissions produced by livestock, according to multiple reports. Ads won't be allowed on the city's buses, shelters, or screens in public. It joins a list of already banned advertisements for flying, gas-powered cars, and the fossil fuel industry. Farmers in the Netherlands have been protesting their government's plans to cut nitrogen emissions since midsummer, when the government said that many farmers will need to cut emissions by up to 70%. And as Joe talked about just a little while ago, and who would have thought it would happen, Pentagon halts F-35 purchases after discovery of Chinese components. The Defense Contract Management Agency notified the Pentagon's office handling F-35s that an alloy used in the plane's turbo machine pumps comes from China. Lockheed Martin, which assembles the aircraft, may need a special exemption to bypass the Buy American Act if it wishes to restart production. The alloy is present in magnets inside the turbo machine pumps. The alloy has not harmed the jet's integrity and F-35s already in operation will remain in operation, according to the F-35 Joint Program Office. We have confirmed that the magnet does not transmit information or harm the integrity of the aircraft, and there are no performance, quality, safety, or security risks associated with the issue, and flight operations for the F-35 in-service fleet will continue as normal, F-35 Program Spokesman Russell Gomer said. And in our good news part of the day, a woman who smelled her husband's Parkinson's helps scientists come up with a diagnostic test. A woman who noticed her husband smelled differently before he was diagnosed with Parkinson's has helped scientists develop a test that spots the disease. Once her husband's diagnosis was confirmed, Mrs. Milne mentioned the change in smell to, doc- to Dr. Tylo Kunis from Edinburgh University. That started a process which which has now resulted in a swab test developed by academics at the University of Manchester. People with Parkinson's are identified using a simple cotton swab along the back of the neck. Mrs. Milne hopes the disease will now be identified sooner. At present, it is diagnosed with over 50% of neuronal damage, she explained. And those are your headlines. Remember to pray Our Lady Salter on her day, and God love you. Praise be to God in all things. Thank you, Mike, for keeping us up to date. Uh, joining us right now via phone is Jeff Deist. He is the president of the Mises Institute. Good morning to you, Jeff. Good morning. Great to talk to you. Yeah, praise be to God. We're grateful for your time. Thanks for, for being on with us. You know, just yesterday, uh, Civil War was trending on the Twitterverse, thanks to Kathy Griffin. And mm. uh, much debate uh, was uh, was had about about what she meant by that. But I bring that up only to say, I have to be honest, in recent times, I've seen a lot more conversation from the left and the right, talking pundits on cable news and beyond, uh, talking about civil war, talking about secession again. And I thought, you know, we here in Texas have been talking about it for a long time, but it seems like it's 
it's ramping up in society as a whole. You wrote an article a year ago on uh, soft secession over on the, at the Mises Institute, Mises.org. And uh, I wanted to get your, and the, the title of the article, by the way, was The Prospects for Soft Secession in America. And I wanted to get your take on that. Can we start with just, what, what are you seeing in America today? Do you think there is some uh, a ramp up in this conversation? Well, there is, and I think we ought to be focused on ways to avoid getting closer to a civil war, first and foremost, right? That's, that's the goal, short of subjugation, of course, to progressives, but that's the goal. Nobody wants there to be, for the conflicts we're experiencing in America to actually spill out into the streets or worse. And so I think, you know, while someone like Kathy Griffin is just an unserious clown, uh, there are serious people like the recently late Angelo Cotevilla, who was writing about the Cold Civil War at the Claremont Institute and places like that, you know, and identifying it and parsing it out and making sense of it. So it's a real phenomenon. But, uh, you know, COVID accelerated a couple of things that were already happening, in, in my opinion. Uh, first was that ever since we stopped having Walter Cronkite and three networks in the New York Times, once we had cable news and the proliferation of channels, once we had the Internet and all the digital sites, people started to ideologically self-segregate. You could tailor your news a little bit more for your own tastes, for one. And then just because of the aging of the baby boomers, because of taxes, because of weather, a lot of especially older people were emptying out of the Northeast and the Midwest physically, segregating themselves down into places like Arizona and Texas and Florida. I'm sure you have lots of new neighbors. Mm. Uh, And then COVID comes along and, and intensifies that accelerates that. I mean, we see a huge migration of people out of Illinois, out of New York and New Jersey, out of California, places like Phoenix and Austin and Boise, Idaho and Tampa Bay just go nuts. Mm. So, uh, you know, people are voting with their feet in many ways. And, and here's what's so interesting is that oftentimes people's actions matter a lot more than their professed uh, political or, or economic beliefs. So, um, you know, when, when Uber first came out, lefties didn't much like it. They said, well, we've got to have taxis, and they're regulated, and they have a medallion. But Uber was so much better. It was point-to-point that it just won the day. And this is oftentimes the case with uh, these states that failed so badly during COVID. Uh, you know, even, even left-leaning people, they just, they just leave. So I think there is a form of secession which is happening, and it, it's soft, and uh, look, again, n- no, no rational person thinks we should even consider a civil war. I mean, imagine the, the people, <laughs> I, I mean, come on, imagine the people in 1860 versus people today. Pe- most people today can't run to the end of the block. Most people today can't do five push-ups. So we're talking about a very different American people. <laughs> well, yeah, when you put it that way, that's for sure. Considering the the folks in 1860, most of them just walked to wherever they got to go. Especially, especially, uh, especially the folks that had to do most of the fighting themselves. Um, now, let me ask you this question. So you wrote this article, The Prospects for Soft Secession in America, a year ago. Uh, just, just about a year ago. It was September last year. Has anything changed in that time? Is there anything in the article that you uh, that you find that you would take out or even put in uh, one year into this? Because I think a lot has changed in a year, and it seems to be the case now that uh, each of these years that go by, it feels like a, an eternity almost. So how do you look back on this article, and what do you think about it now? Yeah, isn't that something a year or two just feels like such a long time ago? And 
They, I, I guess I am surprised to the, the extent to which they have openly ramped up their attempts to criminalize dissent. Uh, Trump's, excuse me, Biden's speech the other night is an example of this. This is what, what he's literally saying is that a segment of Republicans, you know, real, real Trumpers, people who really love Trump, who are, who are wear the red hats, MAGA people who want him back as president, who will enthusiastically support a second term. And he's basically saying that these people are beyond the pale, that these people are breaking the law. They don't believe in the Constitution, the rule of law. And, and by implication, he's saying that they should be vanquished mm. politically, right? That they yeah. should not have a say in how they are governed in America. And so this pretense has been dropped. That's what Trump did, is he forced progressives who, who thought that we were living through this progressive, inevitable arc of history, and if everything's getting better, and of course Hillary Clinton will be the first female president. And when that arc was shattered a little bit, uh, they responded very badly. And so now... Uh, They've simply dropped their pretenses. Joe Biden wasn't pretending to be everyone's president, to govern everyone or to represent everyone. There was was no pretense of that in that speech the other night. So so now if you look at um, political races, if you look at Kathy Hochul in New York State, the governor, she just said, well, you maggots, you know, you know, calling people maggots. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's classy stuff right there. Talk about talk about dehumanizing. Talking about trying to set up the psychological stage mm-hmm. for harming people, or at least taking away, putting them in jail. So, you know, the, the treatment of these people who went, in my opinion, anyway, mauled around the Capitol on January sixth a couple of years ago. The, you know, many of them have been in, in jail without charge for for many for a couple of years now. Many of them are getting incredibly harsh sentences. This would never happen to a left wing protest. And, and the bottom line here is that progressives, you know, once you are convinced of your own moral superiority, then, and once you, once you're convinced you're in a war, you know, then anything goes. And Mm -hmm. so politics is just, uh, uh, another, you know, a, a form of warfare. I know I was listening to some commentary about that particular speech. And, uh, I think the term wartime, uh, talk was actually used to describe it. It's a wartime, uh, you know, a prep rally, a wartime talk to to the nation to rally the nation, and that they do see themselves at war with their political rivals, which seems dangerous considering how much power they wield as a federal government that can uh, force things uh, upon individual states and overcome states' rights. And I see like that's where the battle line seems to be drawn more and more these days is on states' rights, which leads us back to 1860s, uh, where. That was that was why we went to civil war in the 1860s, uh, at least until the uh, until uh, Lincoln signed his uh, 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 the document that freed the slaves, or at least collected them from the South. Let's just say um, I find this very interesting. But I'm up against a hard break, so I don't want to dive too deep into a question that make you have to cut you off here. But we're talking with Jeff Dice, he's the president of the Mises Institute, and one of the things that you said in your article, I'm going to set this up before we go to break here, is you talked about moving away from nationalism. And I found that uh, particularly fascinating in your article because uh, we saw uh, a movement throughout Europe moving from regional government and regional communities to a national community. And now we seem to be reversing that course. I'm just fascinated by that. Is our country headed to a breakup? Or do we want a liberal country and a conservative country? 
Uh, what would happen under the circumstances? What would be the global uh, ramifications of that? All of that and more with Jeff Dice from the Mises Institute. Coming up next, don't go anywhere. Hi, this is Father Stephen Imbarato. Join us in Boston for the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th. Men, we will gather outside the Planned Parenthood to begin the march, and then we're going to meet everyone else for a 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about constitutional personhood for the pre-born and where we need to go from here. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Again, details, mensmarch.com. Join us and spread the word. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your only daughter met a fine young man who was a committed Mormon. She now wants to join his church. What's your answer? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a reason for no. Doctrinal positions such as the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. Your reason for yes. You deem seemingly moral character as superseding biblical truth. Secondly, orthodoxy. Your answer is probably no. But how and why? Your resistance to Mormon doctrine does not just come straight down from the Bible. It comes from the first five centuries of brilliant theologians, bishops, and popes. These Catholics wrote, debated, and fought for truth. Example, in 250 AD, 311, and 417, three different popes excommunicated three different heretics, Sibelius, Arius, and Pelagius. They denied the Trinity, the eternal deity of Jesus, or taught that human effort warranted salvation. Would your pastor excommunicate a heretic? Well, unfortunately, your pastor can only remove someone from his local congregation. But that's okay. That guy will probably end up being welcomed to the church down the street. Praise be to God in all things. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McLean. Jeff Dice is our guest. Mises Institute <clears throat> is uh, his organization, and the, their website is Mises, M-I-S-E-S, dot org. And we're having a conversation about secession and civil war. Fun conversation. Fun conversation. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Um, you know, I, I really feel like things are getting interesting, but I also feel like it's great to have a conversation about, from a theoretical point of view, what it would look like. Because, man, just here in Texas, there's been an effort to secede in Texas now for a long time. Last year, it got as close as it's ever gotten, and it got stalled in the Texas House. Um, you know, if we could secede, college you is, we could immediately do away with abortion. We could immediately do away with, with uh, uh, quote, same-sex marriage, end quote. We could, there's so much that we could do. We could reinvigorate the energy business that we have and export oil and, and, uh, and all this stuff. But then you, a lot of complicated issues start to creep up. Well, what do you do about Fort Hood? What do you do about Kelly Air Force Base? What do you do about uh, all of uh, – what about Social Security? Everybody's been paying in Social Security all this time. What about members who are serving in the military? Do they get let out so they can go, go home to their home country of Texas or do they have to stay in? Do they get to get in at all? I mean, like, there's so many questions that pop up on this. And you talked about a soft secession versus a hard secession. And I hope you can dive into that just a little bit for me here. Well, I hope, I don't know, but I certainly hope that decentralization is the, uh, you know, the animating principle of the 21st century, decentralization of political power, because the 20th century was the opposite. You know, if you go to 1900 and look at Europe, you had the far-flung Austro-Hungarian Empire, and you had, you know, you had, uh, and Germany was made up of all these principalities, and, and so all, of, you know, those two world wars coalesced Europe into uh, what we think of today mostly as set borders. Now, there's been some changes since then, the former Yugoslavia, places like that, and, you know, Russia, USSR broke up, but for the most part, we have this really short view of history. We imagine that 
all these national boundaries and all these national governments are fixed and firm and forever. <laughs> and the history tells us completely opposite. And so we just imagine 50 states, westward expansion, you know, this is just how it is in America forever and ever and ever. Well, 200 years, of course, we haven't had 50 states that long, but, but 200 years to the, to the Chinese mind is like, this is still a startup. Um, so when, when we think that this stuff is always and, and forever the way it is today, that, that's, just, that's just wrong. Now, there's lots of places in the U.S. where you could draw some kind of boundaries that would make a perfectly fine nation. I mean, Texas has uh, nuclear power plants. It has LNG plants. It has ports. Uh, it has access to lots of markets. It has you know, lots of people. It has a huge economy. I mean, Florida, uh, California, all of these states could be much bigger than than perfectly well-functioning uh, European countries like Norway and Switzerland, which, you know, Norway's six million, Switzerland's nine. Um, so, they're, they're, you know, the problems aren't logistical. The, hu- human beings can get together and, and operate just fine. The problems aren't logistical, they're political. You, know, you mentioned Social Security. Well, right now, if Texas were to, in effect, become a foreign country, uh, if, you move to, if you move to Puerto Rico or Costa Rica in your retirement years, you can still collect Social Security there or in Mexico. You don't give up that right. So there's no reason why anyone should give up their Social Security other than politically there'd be an attempt to punish right. Texas for yeah. leaving. I mean, these yeah. are political questions more than they're logistical questions. But look, you know, if, if, if all this power, first of all, most things used to be decided at your town level, and it, may, it became your state, and then it became the federal government, Uncle Sam, especially after the Civil War, and then it started to become these supranational organizations like the WHO mm. and the EU and uh, the, the now, the, now the WEF, which isn't even governmental. You know? so, so I hope that we can reverse those trends because that's really the peaceable way forward. That's, that's the most peaceful way to organize society today when we look at things like abortion and say how how are you going to convince someone that this is life i mean there's just there's just a a fundamental worldview difference there and and politically anyway if you can unyoke those two people right um then there's less tension but couldn't an argument be made that in uh, the 1860s virginia wanted a soft secession from the north (laughs) I mean, they said we're leaving, and I guess you could interpret that as hard. But the federal government at the time, regardless of how you feel about the politics, I'm speaking to the listener here, how we feel about the politics of the American Civil War in the 1860s, the federal government at the time felt it was necessary to do whatever it needed to do to preserve the Union to the tune of over 600,000 lives were lost. Uh, That's a heavy toll. Why is keeping the country together worth such a toll? And would they... Would they consider that again? Well, I, I think they would. That's in the nature of government power is to not give up or cede territory. You know, you, want, you don't want to govern 200 million people. You want to govern 400 million. That's, that's, that's what drives people to politics in the first place, that mindset, that mentality. And that, that's obviously very dangerous. And I think, you know, Catholicism can even point to us, how, you know, the principle of subsidiarity. Um, is a very human principle. It, it's uh, it, it, the idea that, uh, of centralized authority is, is problematic, and so I don't know how you get progressives, especially, to ever let go of a single square inch of 
what we call American turf. But I think I think here is the way they have to suffer some serious losses. You know, Trump was a serious loss to the status quo. Brexit was a serious loss. I mean, these were the kinds of things that shook these people and made them question their own inevitability. They need more of that. They need some real punches to the face to the point where they will say, look, you know, these guys are, you know, these deplorables, there's more of them than we thought, and they're living longer than we thought. And so we're, we're willing to give some things up in order to have more of what we want, let's say, in Oregon and Washington and California. We could call that Cascadia mm. uh, in the eastern seaboard, you know, whatever it might be. And, and the price you have to pay on the flip side is that maybe a place like Texas has to accept that even though, you know, uh, that in Massachusetts they're going to ban guns, they're going to allow late-term abortion, whatever it might be. I mean, that's, that's the price. Well, we're right back to states' rights, and uh, and we seem like that's the the battleground that's being fought more and more these days. Uh, states having to uh, say, nope, we're going to draw the line right here. These are our rights, and we're going to stick to them, and you can't force us otherwise. But I think a lot of these states have also, on the other side of that same coin, have accepted tons of federal money, you know, for all kinds of reasons, schools, roads, or what have you, and they always come with strings attached. I also think of uh, nonprofits. Even in the Catholic world, there are lots of Catholic nonprofits who accepted government money, and they always come with strings attached, which put us in morally compromising positions. Do you see in the near future states having to kind of go it alone, take less government money because they need to enforce their states' rights? Oh, absolutely. And the, the smart states will be economically prepared for that. Uh, you know, like Florida, for example. Uh, has a booming economy. Now, they have some trouble with all the people moving there so quickly, just like a lot of places in Texas do. Uh, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth, Tarrant County, Austin. You know, there's some real real problems when a bunch of people migrate into an area quickly. You can't build houses fast enough. You can't build road capacity fast enough, schools fast enough. I mean, there's there's problems with that. But those are good problems to have relative to, you know, what's happening in in dying Rust Belt areas, for example or what's happening in parts of New Jersey where people are just fleeing because of the taxes. Uh, so, I, I mean, yeah, I think at some point you're going to have to say, maybe it just takes some real economic pain. Maybe it takes something like a, like a crash that's way worse than 2008. Maybe it takes something that shakes people's faith in the U.S. dollar to the point where, you know, a state like Florida starts to actually prepare and say, hey, we're going to have gold reserves. We're going to have, we're going to create a, a form of, of state currency. We're going to create, uh, you know, state chartered banks, whatever it might be to try to, you know, position, position yourself to be less dependent on the federal government. But it, it's a huge problem. I mean, this is not simple stuff. As you point out, the, the you know, federal funding go, go, goes into every last pencil eraser <laughs> in, in this country. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, that's something we should never have let happen. That that was that that is that basically turned the constitution on its head and turned the states, which created the federal government, into, into disglorified counties. Well, we have a couple of minutes left here with Jeff Dice from the Mises Institute. Let me ask you this: What about the global scale? Um, I, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a romantic the, uh, theoretical conversation in some ways, but I think the reality is, if the United States splits up into subregions, uh, has a soft secession, a, you know, whatever. Um, who's going to be left to stand? I mean, we don't do a good job now. How bad will it be standing up against China uh, if if the United States isn't a whole anymore? 
Well, I think you have to view it like Europe, where there would still be a, a, a defense agreement. I mean, that makes the most sense. If you can get politics out of it, <laughs> Good luck. You know, it, it makes the most sense logistically to say, hey, we, we, all, we already have all this military apparatus. You mentioned Fort Hood. We have nuclear weapon silos up in the you know, Dakotas and up, up there. We have all kinds of naval ports, San Diego, Annapolis. You know, we, you know, we ought to have a – we ought to all pay into a mutual defense type arrangement. And, and honestly, I mean, Europe's a free rider off NATO, which is pretty bad. But, I mean, the, the concept works. They just ought to pay their way. The concept works in the sense that I don't, I don't think Vladimir Putin, for example, is going to move into Poland or certainly into Hungary or, or someplace that we now think of as Europe, not East Europe anymore. Uh, you know, and, and the United States, blessed with two huge oceans, I don't think Canada or Mexico or, or the Chinese are, gonna, are going to literally invade. So the Chinese, I think, would like to destroy us economically. Sure. So that's, a, that's a separate question. Yeah, but I think they have a greater capability there. I don't think they want to... The logistical nightmare of invading a country so far away would be too much, but but they sure are trying to do a great job of controlling us by data, e- economy, by psychology. I mean, they seem to be very successful on those well, fronts. Well, apparently, apparently by airplane parts as well. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I, I don't know. I, last question here with seconds on the clock. Ten years from now, where do you think we'll be as a country? Boy, I think we'll be further along this road. I think uh, the center can't hold, and I think people will continue to move uh, to different places. So I I don't think there will be a civil war, but I don't see this divide getting better. Yeah, yeah, I don't see it getting better either. We just had a great comment on one of our live video feeds. Our friend Dr. Anthony Stein says, What's to stop the People's Republic of Cascadia from allying with China? Exactly. In a split up country, it'd probably be New York and California all signing, you know, great uh, agreements with China and Texas and Florida will, will be stuck having to figure that out. But uh, nonetheless, Jeff Deist, Deist, sorry, Jeff Deist, president of the Mises Institute. I highly encourage you to check out their website, M-I-S-E-S dot org, Mises dot org. Check out that article, too. It was from a year ago, the prospects of sauces, soft secession in America. Jeff, God bless you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Joe. All right, that's going to do it for hour number one. If you can join us in the next hour, Hector Molina is going to be on. We're going to go over the Sunday gospel to get you ready, plus our game show and the after show all still to come. Don't forget to sign up to our email list at grnonline.com forward slash cdt. Hi, this is Sister Didi Byrne. Come participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th in Boston. Men, gather outside of the Planned Parenthood on Commonwealth at 11.30 a.m. for the march. Everyone else, show up at the 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about the urgent need to be actively pro-life and pro-eternal lives. For more information, go to themensmarch.com and please spread the word. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Can you really say you know what praying the rosary is all about? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, listen to the who's who of the rosary. We have the Blessed Trinity. We have the Angel Gabriel. We have the Virgin Mary. We have John the Baptist. And we have Elizabeth. So how's that for a cast of sacred ones? Secondly, reflection. While saying the rosary, we reflect on 20 primary and sacred moments that occur in the lives of the Holy Family. 
And thirdly, the rosary dynamics. Here's how you involve this cast of holy ones in praying the rosary. You first invoke the three persons of the Blessed Trinity. Then, on to praying the Apostles' Creed. Then you will pray in Our Father. Then you will recite the angel Gabriel's words to Mary. Then you'll recite what Mary said to Elizabeth. And then you will relive John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Then you will ask for Mary's assistance in your life. And I'm so glad to say none of that is idolatry. Hi, this is Carrie Beatley. Come participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th in Boston. Men, gather outside of the Planned Parenthood on Commonwealth at 1130 for the march. And everyone else, show up at the 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about how America's abortion king pushed the lie of abortion on the American people. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here, and every week I send you cool stuff. Here at KSHJ, 1430 AM, Houston, Texas, we don't mess with the truth. We hear it, live it, and love it. be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. What are your thoughts on uh, America divided? You see America dividing up? Did you miss that conversation with Jeff Dice from the Mises Institute? You can always catch the podcast version of it. I encourage you to go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash cdt. Uh, if you missed it, it'll all be available about an hour after the show. It's always up which means it's on our RSS feeds, on, on iTunes, on Google Play, Spotify, and you can always listen to it on the Guadalupe Radio Network mobile app, which you can download in your iOS or Android store today for free, where you can not only listen to our podcast, but you can listen to your local GRN radio station 24-7, clear as crystal. Praise be to God. No more, hey, why is the station so fuzzy in the morning? It's because the sun hasn't come up. You're listening to an AM station. That's just how it works. Because, uh, you know, AM... Ancient technology. That's what the A stands for. Beautiful technology. I love radio, <laughs> and especially AM radio. It's uh, an amazing technology, but uh, one that has some interesting rules that go along with it. Speaking of interesting, Mike Koeniger's here from Virginia. Good morning to you. Oh, good morning again. It's a, it's a beautiful day. Praise be to God. Uh, okay, uh, you didn't get a chance to chime in there, Mike. I know you wanted to, but because of our technology, it made it hard. What were your thoughts of our conversation with Jeff? It was a, it was a, first off, good job on the interview. Uh, you, you kept it right there on point and it's easy to go meandering off as you and I did before the show, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> that was just a great interview and, and I enjoyed it a lot. And by the way, my question is what's keeping California, New York, Oregon and Washington from aligning with China right now as they have? Yeah. Well, they already have agreements. Actually, each of those states have had agreements, trade agreements or other types of agreements with China. Um, but, you know, it wouldn't be surprising to also find that Texas has that as well. Um, I mean, Texas did approve a major land purchase to uh, a company that's uh, controlled at least in 50 percent by the CCP government to, to run windmills and have access to our electric grid. So there's that. Thank you. Thank you, Texas. Yeah. Also, if you look at the education system, too, you'll see that there's some really complex and uh, 
I would say unethical ties to China. If mm -hmm. you look at, uh, I know some, some, I can't think of it right off the top of my head, so I don't want to say something wrong. Yeah, I was having that problem you know, last hour. <laughs> but, but there's definitely stories here, even here in Texas, there's alliances between yeah. the, the labs here in Texas and Wuhan. So yeah. it's very, could very, you imagine concerning. Uh, China known for its built and road uh, initiatives all over the planet? So all of these governments all over the globe owe China a debt. And when they can't pay, when they default, China takes possession of their property. Yeah. And uh, so their tentacles are all throughout the world, all around us. Could you imagine in a, in a world where the United States has split up and then the Belt and Road is in the state next door to you? I mean, not just, under, not, not just on a down low, on the, on, the, on the secret, but actually out and out. I mean, man, that would get real pretty fast, I would say. So I think there's a lot at stake. And I think that the argument for secession is complicated and not so cut and dry. And I think a lot of times when we talk about the, this topic, there's some folks that can get very romantic about the idea and think, oh, it's going to look so rosy and perfect. And I just don't think it will. It'll be very complicated. But uh, I wish we had more time with, uh, with Jeff to, uh, to conversate about that. But again, check out the podcast. I'd love to know your thoughts on the subject. Do you think our country is going to get divided? Coming up at the second half of this hour, we are going to jump into that uh, in an after show where you get to drive our conversation with whatever you want to talk about. You can talk about what, what we talked about with Jeff. You can talk about uh, food, movies, or, uh, or television shows. Maybe I'll share with you a little bit more about that series on the Days of Noah film that I'm going to be sharing in the email list coming out tomorrow. So if you're not on our email list and you'd like to get access to that, make sure to join our email list right now. Go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt. That's grnonline.com forward slash cdt for the details. Uh, look for the the uh, the uh, CDT Insider email list. You can sign up today. It's super simple, super easy. Highly recommended. I get to harass you at least once a week, and you get goodies. Praise be to God. By the way, this will be the last. Okay, so next week is our Shareathon week at the GRN. Support your local Guadalupe Radio Network radio station. It really does make a difference. I won't be sending the CDT Insider email out next week, so. Get on it today so you get this week's, and then we'll take a break for the next week. All right. Praise be to God. Let's go to the phones. Our friend, our good friend, Hector Molina uh, from the mighty St. Louis uh, from Missouri is joining us now to get into the Sunday Gospel. Good morning to you, Hector. Joe. Praise be to God, Hector. Quick quick question before we jump into the, the Sunday's Gospel. Uh, lots of talk of civil war and secession. Do you see our country breaking up in the next uh, 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Well, I don't know what the timeline is going to be, but we are certainly careening towards uh, a civil conflict. I mean, this is, uh, some describe it as a soft civil war, and there's no denying that the stage is being set for uh, an even greater conflict. And certainly we pray that it mm -hmm. will never come to that, which mm -hmm. is why we evangelize, because we yeah. want to... Yeah. To save not only ourselves, but our country and our countrymen. And so we've, yeah. we've got to pray and work hard. Yeah, amen. Right? That's the answer, is to live in a state of grace and evangelize the world. That is literally amen. what we can do, and we can do it today. Speaking of which, let's talk about the Sunday Gospel. Uh, for whatever reason, the Gospel this Sunday is apparently the entire Gospel of Luke. Like it's, <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen a Gospel this long since Passion Week. What is going down this Sunday? Uh, yeah, we have the iconic centerpiece of Luke's gospel. Uh, arguably, it, I mean, includes one of the greatest, if not the greatest, of parables, uh, the parable most associated with Jesus, that of the 
prodigal son, which is not a paltry few verses, but it's it's a rather lengthy parable. And as you mentioned, this really is the entirety of chapter 15 of Luke's gospel, which includes two shorter parables. So this is a triad of parables that Jesus delivers. We usually focus in on the prodigal son, which is arguably, again, the most famous and the longest, but there are two other parables. The first is regarding the lost sheep, the second, the lost coin, and then Jesus launches into the parable of the lost son. So this is a parable of lost and found, a set of parables dealing with the whole question of lost and found. But the context is, again, the Pharisees. The Pharisees are upset with Jesus. Nothing new there. (laughs) And the reason why they're upset with him is because he is associating with and having table fellowship with notorious sinners, you know, those dastardly tax collectors and (laughs) Radio hosts. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. (laughs) And radio guests alike, yes. (laughs) Um, And so they're a bit upset because he's not uh, rubbing elbows solely with them, the religious elite, but He's welcoming sinners, and table fellowship was it was sacrosanct uh, for the Jews of the first century, and so they took issue with that. And in fact, in the gospel, it's fascinating. In verse two, it says that the Pharisees and scribes murmured, which is obviously a callback to the Exodus. It's the the term that's used often describing the Israelites and their attitude towards Moses. They murmured against him. They murmured against the Lord. And here the Pharisees are essentially doing the same. They're recapitulating the murmuring of the Jews in the wilderness. Mm. And this prompts Jesus to launch into these masterful parables that describe the great joy that God experiences, that heaven experiences, and that all of us experience as the body of Christ when someone repents, when someone is found by the Lord who was lost. And he's really directing this in context to the Pharisees, who, when you look at the prodigal son parable, mm. they resemble the older brother because they're resentful. You know, this kid went off, he spent your dough, dad, you know, <laughs> on, on loose women and wine, yeah. and now you receive him back? This is just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And he refuses to enter into the party, to the feast, because of that resentment. And that really is a description of the Pharisees and, dare I say, many of us who perhaps we know Jesus, perhaps perhaps we're in the Father's house, but nevertheless we're jealous, envious, and resentful. We don't know how to enter into the full beatitude of the Lord, the full joy of the Lord, and because of that, we miss out. And I think the Lord entreating him to come in and to celebrate with the family is is a powerful image for many of us mm. who likewise I think really need to examine our souls and see whether or not we are excluding ourselves from the full joy of the Lord because of our own judgments because of our own murmuring you know we can also engage in dare I say a bit of phariseeism ourselves and all you have to do is go online Joe and look at the whole uh, catholic world and there's just a lot of backbiting, a lot of criticism, a lot of finger-pointing, a lot of judgmentalism that is going around. We need to be very careful not to be puffed up, not to be self-righteous like these Pharisees. In fact, 
if you look elsewhere in the gospel, you know, when Jesus associates, for example, when he calls Levi, who is Matthew, the tax collector, it said that the Pharisees and the scribes murmured against his disciples and against Jesus. When he associates with Zacchaeus, remember he called that shorty to come down from the tree because he wanted to <laughs> dine with him in his home. Poor guy. That ruffled more than a few feathers. Yeah. And it also says that the Pharisees murmured against that. So in what way are we engaged in murmuring, in complaining to Jesus, to the Lord, yeah. about others when we should be praying for them and we should be rejoicing yeah. if, in fact, they do turn to the Lord? You know, especially in the uh, the the prodigal son part of this gospel coming up this Sunday, I've always seen glimmers, uh, sort of uh, shadows that go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And, uh, you know, you have an older and a younger. Adam is older, Eve is younger. And after their fall in uh, Genesis chapter 3, and they are cowering in the bushes and hiding themselves in their nakedness and fig leaves. And our Lord comes walking in the cool of the day. Uh, by the way, I just love when you study what that what the word, the Hebrew word, uh, mm-hmm. the ko, right? That sound of the Lord. And then you compare that to other passages like how he came down on Sinai or how he came down mm-hmm. on Solomon's temple or, or, you know, it just, you realize it's not like a quiet twig snapping, birds chirping <laughs> situation. He is coming in power and glory and you would have felt the dread of Darth Vader walking through the smoke at you. And, uh, and, uh, he meets them there. And then what do we see Adam doing? He's like the older brother, uh, you know, and Eve would be the, the role of the younger brother in that situation. And that the Adam is, is putting the blame on everyone, uh, but himself. And he blames not only Eve, but really he blames God. You're, you're to blame for all my trouble. You gave her to me for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, and I see that going on in the older brother here as well. Uh, and uh, and I, going back to what you said a minute ago, it seems like the Lord is trying to put these uh, these seeds into the mind of the Pharisees, and the hearts of the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and the Herodians, and all the others, to say, you were given this great gift, but you've had this gift because you're a part of my family this whole time, but you squander this gift. And uh, and you need to wake up before it's too late. Absolutely. Yeah, there are tremendous parallels here, including the fact that on another level, the younger brother represents uh, the Gentiles mm. and the older brother represents the Jews. And you look at that and you juxtapose that with the ministry of Jesus and he's cluing them in slowly but surely that uh, the Gentiles, they're being sought after, that the Lord is going to reach out to them. And that provokes a certain envy, a certain jealousy, a certain resentfulness whenever Jesus does engage a Gentile. And that's a prelude to ultimately what's going to happen when Jesus sends out his disciples as apostles to the nations. And this is really kind of setting uh, the groundwork for that great commission. And that dynamic of resentfulness, especially of those who have come to Jesus and are part of the body of Christ. That's something that is missed on many of us, and, and I'll be the first to admit that. Every time I read this parable, I'm just reminded of the fact that I, too, can engage in this uh, self-righteousness and this judgmentalism that sometimes I focus so much of my attention and energy on mm. on criticizing and looking at others and wagging my finger when I really need to be searching my own soul and, in fact, praying for the return of these prodigals and the Gentiles represent 
the prodigal in this particular parable. Jesus is setting the stage for what is about to unfold in the kingdom. Amen. All right. Praise be to God. Check out Hector Molina online, hectormolina.com. It's always great having you on, Hector. God bless you and God love you and have a great day. Get geared up for Sunday's gospel. Dive deep now. Praise be to God. Get the most out of it. Again, HectorMolina.com. Hey, coming up after this break, it's time to play Fear and Trembling. And prizes are at stake. You could win. Call now, 877-757-9424. Call right now. We'll be right back. The Bible clearly says that Jesus had brothers and sisters, but the Catholic Church teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin. How can that be? Mark 6 verse 3 says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? Point number one to consider. There is no word for cousin or for nephew or for niece, aunt, uncle in ancient Hebrew or Aramaic. The words that the Jews used in all those instances were brother or sister. An example of this can be seen in Genesis 14, 14, where Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, is called his brother. Another point to consider, would the last thing that Jesus did on earth be to grievously offend his surviving brothers? Right before Jesus dies, John 19 tells us that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to the apostle John. If Mary had any other sons, this would have been an incredible slap in the face to them that the apostle John was entrusted with the care of their mother. Also, we see from Matthew 27, 55 and 56 that the James and Joseph mentioned in Mark 6 as the brothers of Jesus are actually the sons of another Mary. And one other passage to consider, Acts 1 verses 14 to 15 speaks of a company of about 120 persons that consist of the apostles, the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's see. There were 11 apostles at the time. Jesus' mother makes 12. The women, probably the same three women mentioned at the crucifixion in Matthew 27, but let's say it was maybe a dozen or two, just for argument's sake. That puts us up to 30 or 40 or so. So that leaves the number of Jesus' brothers at about 80 or 90, according to this scripture passage. Do you think Mary had 80 or 90 children? She would have been in perpetual labor. No, Scripture does not contradict the teaching of the Catholic Church about the brothers of Jesus when Scripture is interpreted in proper context. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling, (laughs) the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot, 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling, a Catholic trivia game show with secrets and agendas. But what we need more than me revealing all of my secrets to you or as a phone call, we need a contestant on the line to play the game. So the first caller gets to play our game when you call 877-757-9424. It's easy. It's fun, I promise. 877-757-9424. Rudy Carlos standing by to take your call right now at 877-757-9424. That phone number again is 877-757-9424. Call right now. First caller gets to play the game. There are some things we like to do, as I like to say. 
Uh, number one, we like to teach the faith. So we look for teachable moments in the questions where you might learn something you did not know before. Praise be to God. I mean, just imagine the bragging rights you're going to have showing off at school or at work. Uh, then, of course, we like to have a laugh. We like to have a good time. And our callers are actually amazing, especially when they call 877-757-9424. Standing by to take your call right now at 877-757-9424. And then, of course, we give out prizes, which means this is a winner for everybody involved, right? So it's a total incentive because you might just win something. Praise be to God. You're going to learn something, but you may win something, and hopefully you have a good time in between. Uh, But here's the kicker. Here's the real catch. When you call 877-757-9424, I have three Catholic trivia questions in front of me, but I don't ask you, okay? Uh, you don't need to know. You might not know any of these answers, but you could still win. You could still uh, win our prize. It's possible because instead of asking the caller, I shall ask Rudy. I shall ask Mike. One of them will give us a correct answer. The other will give us an incorrect answer. The caller will then have 15 seconds to make a decision. Whomst do they trust more, Mike or Rudy? And then every correct answer will go into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize, which I think, Mike, you know what that is. I, I do. And like all our sponsors, another great sponsor here, Matter of Christi Apparel. And what our winner is going to get is an amazing shirt, Joe. It has the three hearts on it. And, and you know, wearing a shirt like that, it, it stimulates conversation. So Amen. it's a great way to evangelize people yeah. you come in contact with. And, and you can check these folks out on Etsy. And, and you know, there's just some great Catholics on Etsy. And Mater Christi Apparel is one of those. Praise be to God. That's awesome. Uh, Mater Christi Apparel. Thank you for your generous gift, allowing us to get prizes to our audience. Uh, we really, really appreciate that. Hey, listen, all there's a bunch of calls that did come in. If you don't get on today, call back tomorrow for your last chance to get in on this week's prize pack. But let's go to the phones. Carlos, good morning to you. Good morning. Praise be to God. Thanks for calling us today, Carlos. Where are you calling from? Abilene, Texas. Abilene, Texas. That's way up in the panhandle, right? No, no. I uh, between Midland I, I and I did this Dallas. last time. I confused Abilene <laughs> yeah. with Amarillo. That's what I did. I got to remember. How's the song go? Yeah. Amarillo by morning. Okay. I, what Does Abilene yeah. <laughs> Does Abilene have a country song? Famous? Anything like that? Uh, oh, it did. I can't. Uh, <laughs> you don't God. remember though. <laughs> where, yeah. do you, where do you go to church? I'm not much in the country. <laughs> where do you go to church, Carlos? Uh, St. Vincent, Pilate. Wow! Praise be to God. Well, we're glad you're on. All right, now, are you, are you familiar with how this game works, sir? Yes. All right. So, uh, so you're ready then? I mean, like, I mean, because yes. it could be stressful and it could be tricky, but you do know, of course, I am the only one on your side. I'm the only one advocating for you today. So you, you can trust yes. me, right, Carlos? Yes. Okay. You should know then that neither well, Rudy's wearing a tie today, but Mike is still refusing to wear a tie, so we're not sure what he believes when it comes to that. <laughs> but we shall begin with Mike nonetheless. Uh, we need an actuary on the staff to be able to correlate this data. But, Mike, good morning to you again. Are you ready, sir? Oh, I'm absolutely ready. Ooh, that sounded tricky. Are you sure? Oh, I'm on Carlos's side. He can trust me. <laughs> oh, right. Right. Okay. Well, let's try this one then. Hmm. Mike, can you tell me? The Immaculate Conception refers to the conception of whomst as free from original sin. Who does that apply to? 
And this is why it pays to listen to Catholic Drive Time from beginning to end because you gave the answer in the last hour, Joe. It's our Blessed Virgin Mary. I blessed said that? Virgin. Yes, sir, you that did. That came out of my mouth? Okay. You did. Okay. Stop talks and all that. <laughs> so the uh, so your answer is the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay. That's right. Okay. Well, let's just get a second opinion here. Rudy, can you tell me uh, who does the Immaculate Conception refer to? It's uh, free from original sin, by the way, but whom has that title? Oh, of course. It has to be our blessed Lord. He's the most perfect human being that was mm. ever walked the earth. Mm-hmm. It has to be our mm-hmm. blessed Lord. Mm-hmm. You're just going to go straight up on the nose like straight that? Straight up, right on the nose. Okay. Just okay. like Jeff Dice said. Got to punch you, him in the face. Got, did he say that? He pretty much said I that. I got to roll he back said, the tape. got to take a couple I, I, more punches. I, I, uh, for legal reasons, that we don't mean to actually punch people in the face. Just so you know. <laughs> uh, all right. Carlos, in Abilene, uh, the question is, the Immaculate Conception refers to the conception of whomst as free from original sin. Rudy seems to think it refers to our Lord. Uh, Mike seems to think it belongs to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Carlos, what say you? I'm going to go with Mike. Blessed Virgin Mary. Just just going to go with Mike, huh? Even though he's not wearing a sign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. The Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, remember this. Kekade Tomine in uh, Luke's Gospel. You show that off. When you get to work or whatever you're going today, Carlos, just say, hey, I was uh, talking about the old Kekade Tomine today. You know, the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Someone's going to say, God yeah. bless you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, you're in the cup. You could win. You could win, Carlos. Praise be to God. Let's see if we can't double your chances, though, with this next question. We'll start with uh, Rudy Carlos for this one. Rudy, does it feel weird to like be in Adrian's spot and having to go second on, um, on the game show? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. not really. Not really? A little bit. Okay. Okay. I'm, and the color of I'm your lying. tie? You're wearing a blue tie? It's a, a blue tie with red paisleys. With the red paisley tie. Yep. Got this it. is my uh, my holy fire tie. Or as I say, the Dillard's tie. The upper room tie. I see. Mm-hmm. The upper echelon, for sure. <laughs> the, the one percenter tie. All Whoever right. owned it before me was. <laughs> okay, here we go. Rudy, can you tell me which saint... Is referred to as the bearer of Christ. That is going to be Saint John, who was uh-huh. the disciple that Jesus loved the most. Oh, he, out of all of the disciples, out of all of them, him the most. He was mm. pretty. Think about it. He's pretty legit, right? I mean, he didn't run away. He yeah. was pretty solid. Yeah. He was reliable. He was at uh-huh. the cross. I see. I so, some our would Lord say gave our, his blessed mother to us. Uh huh. Some would say him. he was too legit to quit. That's true. And so he never did. All right, so John is your answer. Uh, Mike, could you tell me which saint is referred to as the bearer of Christ? Oh, that's an easy one, Joe. It's the giant, St. Christopher. Was he a giant? Oh, that's what Adrian tells us. (laughs) Didn't he have a dog head, too? Uh, Did that make him a Nephilim? I'm just curious. Um, hmm. I don't know. We'll find out later, hopefully. You're saying St. Christopher is the Christ bearer. That's what you're saying. Okay, okay. Well, uh, Carlos in Abilene, you got options here. Mike says the Christ bearer was St. Christopher. Uh, Rudy says it was St. John. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who is wrong? Carlos, what say you? I'm going to say St. John. No, no. Go the other way. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wow, you really rubbed that buzzer in, didn't you, Rudy? Oh, boy. <laughs> like your finger was hot on the it's trigger the there. Pow- the, I'm, uh, the power is, is, is crippling me. I'm sorry. I feel bad, <laughs> but the correct answer is 
Saint Christopher, which literally means Christ bear. Christopher literally means okay. Christ bear. Uh, but don't worry. This next one arguably could be the hardest question of all time, as Adrian would say if he were here. Uh, so, <laughs> the hardest, right? so arguably uh, this also could be the easiest one. Who knows? Let's He's just not see. dead, by the way. You made it sound like if he was still with us. God rest his soul. What? Sorry? <laughs> uh, peace be upon him? What? He's just on vacation. He'll be back. Who, Adrian? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that's good news. Praise God. At the resurrection. At the resurrection. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, we're running out of time. Let's get serious. Let's get back to business. Okay, Mike, we will start with you. Uh, can you tell me, Mike, what is the nickname given to the Superior General of the Jesuits? I can tell you exactly who that is, Joe. And it was given to them when, when they were still good guys. Uh, it would be the Black Pope. <laughs> the Black Pope. I sure. think I've heard that someplace. Okay, interesting. Uh, Rudy, could you tell me what is the nickname given to the Superior General of the Jesuits? That's going to be <clears throat> the man behind the curtain. Okay, seriously now, what was your answer? The man behind the curtain. Oh, that's your answer? Yeah, that's what that's they... That's his nickname? That's what they say. They. <laughs> we got to get they back on the line. <laughs> uh, you're saying the answer is the man behind the curtain. That's what I said. Huh. Him. Okay, okay. Uh, doesn't the man behind the curtain say pay no attention to the man behind the curtain? Yeah, that's what they want you to believe. I believe it. Okay, all right. Well, Carlos and Abilene, uh, what is the nickname to the Superior General of the Jesuit Church? Is it the man behind the curtain, as Rudy seems to think? Or is it the Black Pope, as Mike has suggested? 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Carlos, what say you? I don't know. I'm going to guess. I'm going to say the man behind the curtain. No, go with, go with Mike. See Mike. Mike, <laughs> out. I heard Mike. I heard Mike. <laughs> Carlos, you, sir, are brilliant. You are an astute, wise man. Praise be to God. Handsome, no doubt. Uh, and you have been a, a lot of fun playing our game today. The correct answer is, in fact... The Black Pope. That is his nickname. And he's because had that of their for vestments. centuries, right? Because yeah. of their vestments, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, there you go. We learned something new today, Carlos. God love you. Thanks for playing our game and having a great time with us. And uh, God bless you on whatever it is you're doing today in Abilene, Texas. All right. Thank you. All God right. You. God love you, too. We're going to put you on hold, Carlos. Don't go anywhere. All right. That's going to do it for the radio side. We'd love to get your commentary in a direct conversation coming up on our live video streams. What do you think about what we talked about today? Go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. Mary the dawn, Christ the perfect day. Mary the gate, Christ the heavenly way. Mary the root, Christ the mystic vine. Mary the grape, Christ the sacred wine. Mary the wheat, Christ the living bread. Mary the rose, Christ the rose blood red. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins, so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart, Lord have mercy. <clears throat> you came to call sinners, Christ have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us, Lord have mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Gloria in excelsis Deo, et in terra pax hominibus, bone voluntatis, laudamus te, benedicimus te, adoramus te. Glorificamus te, gratias agimus tibi, propter maniam gloriam tuam, Domine Deus rex celestis, Deus pater omnipotens, Domine fili unigenite, Jesu Christe, Domine Deus Agnus Dei, Filius Patris, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis, qui tolis peccata mundi, Sushi pe de precationem nostram, qui sedes ad exteram patris, miserere nobis, quoniam tu solus sanctus, tu solus dominus, tu solus altissimus, Jesu Christe, cum sancto spiritu, in gloria Dei Patris. Amen. Let us pray. Impart to your servants, we pray, O Lord, the gift of heavenly grace that the Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary may bring deeper peace to those for whom the birth of your Son, of her Son, was the dawning of salvation. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. 
St. Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, we know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. With delight I rejoice in the Lord. With, With delight, delight I, I rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Though I trusted in your mercy, let my heart rejoice in your salvation. With, With delight, delight I, I rejoice in the Lord. Let me sing of the Lord. He has been good to me. With, With delight, delight I rejoice in the Lord. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Blessed are you, Holy Virgin Mary, deserving of all praise. From you rose the Son of Justice, Christ our God. Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham became the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah became the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez became the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab. Amminadab became the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was, was Rahab. Boaz became the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed became the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king. David became the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon became the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph became the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah became the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah became the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah, Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the Babylonian exile. After the Babylonian exile, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, Abiad became the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok. Zadok became the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar. Eleazar became the father of Matha. Mothan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Of her was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, 
she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate this joyous and beautiful day, the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. This feast began in the 5th century with the dedication of the house of Saints Joachim and Anne, a holy site. And it makes perfect sense, as somebody once pointed out, that our birthday really celebrates our mother, not really us, because we didn't will ourselves into existence. We didn't say, I'm, I'm coming now. No, it was really an, an act of God and in cooperation with our mother uh, who gave us birth. So that's why you would celebrate the birth of the Virgin Mary exactly nine months after her conception, her Immaculate Conception, on December 8th. So on September 8th, we celebrate her birth, really the, the, the new dawn, which is about to come in Jesus Christ. It's kind of interesting that we celebrate Mary's birth on, its, on, the, on an occasion of the dedication of her, her mother and of her father. And in the gospel, we hear the birth of Jesus Christ, which is why Mary is so important. The readings that are given to us are really beautiful and they remind us of an important um, truth of our faith. Something that St. Paul says in that first reading from the Romans, we know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All things work out for good to those who love God. When we look at the genealogy that is given to us in the Gospel of Matthew, I think one thing is important to point out is that the Jewish people were not afraid, and this including Matthew, was not afraid to point out a lot of, you have your, uh, your in-laws and you have your outlaws. There were people who were faithful, truly faithful to God, and those who weren't. When you look at that list, you kind of wonder if it was this big tree uh, of this, and the fruit of, of the tree, which each of these people, some of them, and at the very top of that tree would be Mary and holding the Christ child. How many of them really understood their role in salvation history? How many of them understood, had some kind of inkling into the work of God in their life? How many of us have that kind of inkling? <laughs> this, that little bit of foresight that God is at work in us and through us and in this, in this time of history. That no matter what happened, no matter who was faithful, who was unfaithful, underneath it all, God was working out his plan. I think it reminds us, too, that objectively everything has come from God and is returning to God. Subject, that's going that way whether we like it or not. Subjectively, we can either go into that stream and flow in that stream of grace and of salvation, or we can either get out or swim against it. And some in that genealogy were not part, didn't seem to be part of that plan. People like, uh, you know, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. These were people who were not very faithful to God. And yet you have somebody like Ahaz and Hezekiah 
who tried in even course of King David, who tried really to be faithful to God, who wanted to be after the heart of the Lord. And then you have the very crown of that is Mary, completely her life, completely open to the Lord, ready to, to spend her life for however the Lord wanted to, that, that stream flow through her. This is important to remember because God said in that Old Testament that he would be generous and gracious down to the thousandth generation to those who love and fear him. But he would punish those to the third, to the third and fourth generation. So that's good for us. If we're faithful to the Lord, he will bless us to the thousandth generation. Maybe we don't see it right now, especially if you're parents and you see your kids kind of losing their faith or going off in this, that direct, this direction or that direction. God is faithful. And of course, it is and subjectively, we have to throw, go into that stream ourselves. But God is faithful. He will still continue to pour out his grace and his call to glorify us, to justify us. Um, it is whether we want to flow in that stream or not. And the Blessed Virgin Mary, for one, is one who completely opened up herself to that saving stream of God. There is a river that gladdens the city of God, and it really is the Blessed Virgin Mary. From her came forth the Son of Justice, Christ our God. So we celebrate her birthday in this special way. We give thanks to her, yes, uh, her, oh, her fiat to the Lord. May we also do the same. We come with confidence before our Heavenly Father, knowing that he hears and answers our prayers. Let us pray for the Holy Church of God, for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, that the Church may radiate ever more clearly the true gospel of Jesus Christ, we pray to the Lord. Let us pray for all expectant mothers, that the intercession and power of the Blessed Virgin Mary, they may bring their child to a healthy birth, we pray to the Lord. Let us pray for all those who are sick and who are suffering, who are in most need of God's mercy and also his healing consolation, we pray to the Lord. Lord Let's pray for all of those who have wandered away from the faith, especially for all families out there who experience the loss of faith in their children and their grandchildren. They may anchor themselves in the, in the words of the gospel today. And also in St. Paul's words, that all things work out for good for those who love God. We pray to the Lord. Let's pray for those who are persecuted for their faith. They may remain faithful to the Lord. We pray to the Lord. Finally, remember those who have died for all the holy souls in purgatory that they may rest in peace. We pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, hear the prayers that we bring before you this day and answer them according to your holy will through Christ our Lord and through the powerful intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. 
Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands, become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. May the humanity of your only begotten Son come, O Lord, to our aid, and may he who at his birth from the Blessed Virgin did not diminish but consecrated her integrity by taking from us now our wicked deeds Make our oblation acceptable to you through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, and to praise, bless, and glorify your name on the nativity of the blessed ever-Virgin Mary. For by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit she conceived your only begotten Son, and without losing the glory of virginity, brought forth into the world the eternal light, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him the angels praise your majesty, dominions adore, and powers tremble before you. Heaven and the virtues of heaven and the blessed seraphim worship together with exaltation. May our voices, we pray, join with theirs in humble praise as we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Abahot, plenis et terra, gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood the blood of the new and eternal covenant, 
which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. Graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer to the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Only say the word and my soul shall be.
Behold, the virgin will bear a son who will save his people from their sins. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in pulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc det in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Let us pray. May your church exalt, O Lord, for you have renewed her with these sacred mysteries as she rejoices in the nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which was the hope and the daybreak of salvation for all the world through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita Dulcedo, Es Fest Nostra Salve. A te clamamus, Exules Filii Heve, A te suspiramus, Gementes et Flentes, In hoc lacrimarum vale. Eha ergo, advocata nostra, ilos tuos, misericordes oculos, ad nos converte. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, 
And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Spreading the splendor of truth. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. This is Dr. Ken Buckle from Grazia Plan.